sure it looks sick. I watched The Whale on the airplane. Okay. You guys seen it? Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Amazing. Amazing. So it. it's perfect for the airplane because you're not going to sit down on a Friday night and watch and it. Watch it's, it. Yeah, yeah. it's so fing depressing. Yeah. But holy shit. That's a great movie. He did a great so job. Good. Holy shit. Yeah. For the first like 20 minutes, I was like, It was slow. Yeah, a little bit slow, yeah. feeling it out, but holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. I heard they don't he really feature whales that much in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Duncan. Yeah, but oh shh. Wait, you saw it, Duncan? No, I've never okay. seen it. Okay. Nicole? Yeah, I've seen it. Liked? I mean, yeah, sad, but yeah. liked it, yes. Yeah. Did you watch it on an airplane? I did not. Where'd you watch it? On a couch? Yeah. In the theater? So I think theaters are back. I forgot you to think talk, so? I forgot to talk about this with Ben. See, Last I, week, DK Metcalf sat right there. Yeah, I saw the party. And we so, spoke yeah. about movies. And I yeah. said, what type of movies? He goes, horror. And I gave him a pound. Yes. Because I'm like, I told you guys, I'm not the only one who, who goes to the movie theaters by themselves. So DK, yeah, I'll, I'll go into the movies DK by goes by himself. Yeah. Anyway, that, that Friday night, I saw Evil Dead by myself. How it was, was it? me and a bunch of 16-year-olds. But it was oh, wow. tons of 16-year-olds to the point where they had to have like a secure, like fake, a fake security guy walk up and down the aisle like wow. shush people. Yeah. Um, so the movie was good. I was I was genuinely scared because the the trailer looks like terrifying. Yeah. Like it looks like terrifying, and it was good. It was like fun. It wasn't like as scary yeah. as I thought. I was honestly scared. Yeah. I'm a big this guy. Hey, how's it going? That's In fun. theater. Yeah. I you know whatever. I get scared. So we can. Okay. We can move this a I like hard, but I get scared. Have a better. how's life? We're gonna find out because. Pretty good. Comes out what does? Oh, Guardians. Guardians yeah. Oh, we're gonna find out if theaters are back. I think they're back. No, they'll do a billion dollars immediately. It, it should. Yeah. It should, because you know Maverick was the one that put it over the top. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're back. So, Leanna, life is good. Yeah. So, Not as crazy as last year. Yeah. A lot less like events. Because like the travel. the reopening. So yeah. I'm going to one in two weeks. Where are you going to? I'm going to the one in Hollywood, Wealthstack Edge. Oh, Wealthstack. Yes. Wealth thank Wealth you so much. Um, but they're having a hard time. I'm not saying that's kind of specifically, but. Yeah. Getting advisors to go to conferences is hard. Because there's like so many. It's hard. Yes, a ton. And also, like, it, it doesn't matter who's speaking because anybody that's speaking that you would want to see, you could just listen on a podcast. Yeah. You know I've what I mean? Like that, like, conversation with all of the events I work for and stuff that, like, getting good speakers is, like, not enough. Yeah, no. Also, the same speakers are doing yeah, the same circuit it's as not all even, the other events. It's not even close to enough. I updated my agency. Like, like I love Magic Johnson, yeah, but, like, was, you could hear him anytime you want. You know what I mean? It's true. It's not like... You don't need to go to a conference to see somebody speak or listen to somebody speak. Yeah. Well, what do you think needs to be done to make them? I more just appealing? it's tough. Like That's getting... what they're asking. The thing is, like events themselves, like just having an event has never been like a big margin business. It has to be. It's a tough like, business. What Anthony always used salt. Yeah. It was supposed to be like a drive. And service and service yeah. the real business. Yeah. yeah. But now I think salt mm -hmm. is like their main kind of thing. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. That's the opposite. Yeah. But it's tough. But like yours, like you're yeah, you do the in person stuff to like build the back end of the business yeah, and regeneration for yeah. holds and all of that, yeah. right? Yeah. But if it like just yeah. your event companies. Well, like, they have like tough. obviously fanatics, yeah. right? To be able to get twenty thousand people. That's mental. But it's still a huge spin. Yeah. And then you're marketing all, planning for it all right. year. Um, margins still can be tough, though. Margins. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's the reason why we say in Atlanta, and we, we're thinking about taking it elsewhere because uh, people are telling us now you got to get percentage of hotel and food because yeah. if not, yeah. the cost is going to be so high in a couple of years. It's not even Thanks for getting under there, Nicole. Jesus. But if you guys are driving that sort of, imagine you go to a place, so Atlanta's a gigantic city. Yes. But if you went to a city that like is not used to having okay. that sort of. That's all I'm telling them, like take to Iowa City. Revenue, like you go to Iowa City, like they will pay you to yes. come. Yes. Yeah, that's what I want. I'm like, let's take it elsewhere. But hopefully we can have a conversation with the mayor 
And of what? Of what? Any other city? Atlanta, yeah. Okay. And if not, yeah. we got to take it elsewhere next yeah. year. Yeah. You were at the Merce- next to the Mercedes Benz. What is that? Is that stadium called? Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Um, what is that venue called? That the event was at. It's massive. Yeah. Um, forgot the name of it. Liana, I went to I went to Ian's uh, event last year in Vestfest. In you it. did it at Madison Square Gardens, right? That was Mark and Monday's live. Um, but the, the bigger one is at uh, in Atlanta. The convention center was crazy. I remember. Um, did Tyrone go to that too? I don't know. There's like a, a bunch no. of you guys went to that. Yeah, Frank Holland went. I went. Where? Uh, Invest Fest yeah. last summer. Oh, you told me it was, it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah. Josh came was that back. your first one last year? Hey, Josh, Josh Second came year. back and he was like, dude. Yeah. Because we do live stuff, but I've never seen an audience that they didn't weren't even sitting. Did you drug your audience? Be honest. Like they no. were, st- they were no. standing. They were we should, sh- though. They were so excited. And uh, I thought what was cool was you had music in between speakers. Yeah. So what, what type of music? Like, like Waka Flocka Waka, Flame. Yeah. Like live music? Like, yeah. Your, fa- your favorite. Music. I love Waka Flocka. Yeah. I know you do. Um, you can that, barely say that was, Waka Flocka. That was my first uh, cassette. You, oh, was it? <laughs> no. Get out of cassette. I'm, I don't think My first cassette was was Throwing cop, Throwing Copper? Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. 94 or something? Uh, yeah. but, you got, but you guys had you guys had a crowd that was so into what you do. Yeah. And I mean... The Steve Harvey thing, which I watched from backstage with you. Yeah. Um, Are you friends with him too? No, like I was. I actually put that on the thing for today. His story is in my book. I made. Oh, is really? He was at your event. Yeah. That's awesome. Let me tell you, he spoke for an hour and a half, (laughs) maybe Um, two hours. Yeah. And the the crowd was hanging on. He he has amazing stories. Yeah. Yeah. I I put his story in my book about how he was homeless till he was almost forty. What? I met him at Salt like twenty seventeen. He didn't he really get it bloomer. on track to like 36, 37. He, lived he in did well for in like his 20s, but LA lifestyle. He was part of the Kings of Comedy. Yeah. So who is it? That was Cedric. Uh, Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac. Oh my God. And D.L. Hewley. Yeah. But, D.L. Hewley, right, right. But that's one of the things he told us. He's like, I want to make sure you guys get along because like them arguing over who was the headliner over the next four years cost him like $45 million. They couldn't get along to go back on tour. Who, why uh, Bernie Mac was the obvious headliner, but then, but then, but Steve was the biggest. Steve star. started to blow up. Bernie Mac is like all time, amazing. All time, right? Yeah, so it's just a good lesson in camaraderie, having the right partners. Absolutely, taking the ego out of the business. You know, oh, well. yeah. But you I mean, guys got a great crew. Trapper, yes, my God. Uh, MG, the mortgage guy. Yeah, who's uh, he's he's from near where I live. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you. And who who else is in the crew? Nineteen Keys is doing really Nineteen well. Keys. Yeah. So, so he, what, he's like a he's like a music producer turned investor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What was he a producer on? Uh, I think he did some oh, songwriter. Stuff with Kendrick, yeah, but he would do like songwriting stuff behind the scenes. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there room for more people? Like, how do you guys know when you have too many, too many content creators? I don't think you can ever have too much room if it's the right people. For me, it's like it's all about acumen and trust. Yeah. So my thing is always that when we're vetting, I'm like, are you doing what you say? Okay. Like, I don't give a damn about the following and all that. Because it's a lot of people that have a following, and they end up scamming people like 2019, 2020. Yeah. For me, it's all about trust and okay. then synergy and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so people that are saying one thing on YouTube or Instagram and, and doing something else. Yeah. You have people trying to join you? Like, you have people coming to you? All the time. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. They try to pay the biggest platform. You guys are like the biggest financial media platform there is right now for people that want to be influencers or. Okay. So, and I hate that term, by the way. Influencer. Talk about it. I mean, we're rolling. You are influential. I'm an influencer. I don't know. No, yeah. Well, I never designed, I never wanted to do any of this. Like, I didn't know how to break into the hedge fund industry. Right. So I had to, like, take a back route to show, like, a preponderance of proof that I knew what I was talking about. That's why I always say, if I've made you money, let me get a yes in chat. Hell yeah on stage. So when I go to my meetings, you can't deny that I've helped 15,000, 20,000 people. Like, I never decided to... It's a route I had to take, unfortunately. But the word itself, you feel like it's pejorative these yeah. days. Like, it's yeah. it's used to, like, put someone down. Like, oh, they're just an influencer? Yeah. Do you feel that way? Absolutely. I just don't think... Well, I think in our space, it doesn't give credit where credit is due. Like, yeah. what are we influencing? We're, like, I would say, experts in a field where not a lot of people yeah. are experts. Okay. I think we're worth more than the word influencer. So, yeah, I'm investing in... Like, I've been trading... I've been investing since 2009... Trading futures since 2013. Right. I, I don't want to be influential, especially with all the shit that comes with it. If I knew what happens in the comments and all, I, I wouldn't have. Well, that's so it. one of the things is that 2020, a lot of people just didn't have anywhere to be. Yeah. And they had a, too, a lot of time on their hands and they started trading. Yeah. And the market was just rampaging. Everything was Boy, working. Insane. So a lot of people all of a sudden became influential. Mm hmm. Because they just, they said they were influential. Yeah. And I don't think you could do that now. It's I tougher. Think, I think that moment has like passed. moved, moved yeah. passed on. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think all the other, the substitute words aren't good either. Like change maker. Ooh. Oh, don't use that. Ooh, that's yeah. terrible. <laughs> that is terrible. Uh, there's other, that's no, worse. there are terms that you're like, I use the word change maker instead of influencer. I'm like, no. No. I haven't thought of a good substitute. I'm a thought crafter. Yeah, some people say curator. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Curator. Yeah. What does that mean? They like, just put together and compile like information. Like a content curator. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm that also. I, I, I'm a lot of those things, <laughs> but I don't like. I guess I wouldn't want to be called them either. Yeah. We're so. the talent. We are the well. Clap it up for that. We most definitely <laughs> are the talent. The talent is ready. Talent is ready. Let's do this. What episode is this? Time to influence. Zero percent chance. Oh. Um, yeah. So 91. 91. Let's go. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's episode of The Compound and Friends is brought to you by our friends at Bird Dogs. Today is the perfect time. They're in the sweet spot. I'll tell you why. They've got pants, right, with liners. It's pants weather because it's sort of cold in the morning as we transition from spring to summer. And it's shorts weather. We're like right around the corner. What's It's like 56 degrees in New York City. It's not quite shorts weather. Got the pants today. Shorts uh, hopefully next week. Go to birddogs.com slash Michael and use the code Michael to get a Yeti-style tumbler from Bird Dogs with every purchase. Got good friends in the house today. Vibes are good. Vibes are good. I got to tell you, I, I've been excited for this episode for a while. And, you know, Liana, uh, I'm going to give you guys official introductions in a minute. 
Um, but Liana is a third time. Are you? Four? Four. Four. Come on. Look at this. I don't even know why you guys keep asking me that, but I'm so glad to Because you're amazing. Because <laughs> you're amazing. That's exactly right. Hey. Uh, let, let me do your intro. Hang on one sec. Okay. Liana Hawkins is... Wait, what happened to this? Oh, here we Hawkins. are. No, let me do it my way. <laughs> <laughs> like black hawk. Well, that's just my, but that's just my accent. Is that the Long Island? The Long Island. Liana Hawkins is the founder of Blackhawk Financial, a financial, business, development, and marketing firm. Liana frequently makes appearances on CNBC, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, and wrote the book Young, Fun, and Financially Free. Yes. And she is also a change maker. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All right. And first time on the show, my friend, Ian Dunlop. Ian is the founder of Red Panda Academy and the creator of Market Mondays with Earn Your Leisure. Ian has also been featured at Forbes and on The Breakfast Club. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you. I'm uh, honored to be here. Longtime fan. It's a privilege to be here, seriously. The Breakfast Club is a big show, like yes, much yes. bigger than this show. What was that like uh, going on with those guys? Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, like when my mom called and my aunts called and friends from high school, like, oh my God, I saw you this morning. Yeah. All those crazy investment ideas, I guess they're panning out. So <laughs> it was fun. So shout out to Charlamagne, Envy, Yee. Um, it's yeah, DJ Envy, Angela Yee, yeah. uh, Charlamagne. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where, where do they tape? They're in Manhattan? Yeah. Okay. Manhattan, yeah. All right. And Earn Your Leisure in general, though, is on a lot. Uh, so could you explain to the audience... Uh, what Earn Your Leisure is and what your role what your role in that whole movement is. Yeah. Um, okay. Earn Your Leisure, uh, shout to Troy and Rashad, but um, we felt it was necessary to create a platform for black and brown people to easily understand investing and how to make money in the market. So when I met with them, I did an episode with them, episode 70. It was the month before COVID hit. Oh, wow. So okay. we taped it and I asked Rashad, I'm like, hey, when's the episode coming out? I'm like, everything's going to fall apart. Because I'm trading futures. Were, were, were you bullish <laughs> during, during the episode? Well, no, I, I was on what well, ones we were talking about today, Apple, right. Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was short the S&P futures at the time. And I'm like, the market's going to fall apart. It hit. And that's when it kind of clicked for them. Like, okay, he knows what he's talking about. He does have some controversial takes. But he's actually doing what he's saying. Then the episode came out. It caught fire. And we just went on YouTube Live one day. And I just called out technical levels. Like I did my JC thing, like here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No fundamentals, all technical. <laughs> Shout out to JC. Yeah, yeah. And people, in the next two months, some people were up at like 30%. Okay. And it just caught fire from there. And then we created Market Mondays and the rest of the history. All right, so Market Mondays, we'll, we'll plug all this stuff later. But basically, Troy and Rashad founded Earn Your Leisure. Yes. And you do that show with them every week. Yes. And that's like very much your brand. Yes. Uh, as well as theirs. Absolutely. And... Uh, that must be a lot of fun. It's incredible. You guys have a huge audience. Yeah. They tune in every week. Yeah. Um, I see it, I, like, every time you put something out on social media, I see it go crazy. No, I, pre I mean, you guys are a huge inspiration behind that. I told you, I know you hate when I say it, but to me, you're like the Mark Haynes of our generation. Okay. And Mark called the bottom, like, so your transparency, honesty, you yeah, and yeah. Kramer were like the two that I, I know Kramer's had a tough time the last two years, right? But he was the inspiration hasn't? for Who hasn't? the True. Uh, for the show, so I want see my cholesterol. We all have we all have a tough yes. one. <laughs> this year, I appreciate difficult. I appreciate that. Of course, thank you. Um, and Liana, tell tell us a little bit about what the journey from the book being published has done for you. I mean, yeah, the book is sort of what started me in the 
influencer space, whatever you want to call it, in financial media. I think we settled on change maker. Yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll be a change maker today. <laughs> That's cool with me. Um, with the book coming out and all the proceeds of the book go to charity, and it was a client idea that I was wow. helping his daughter out who was in college, and she was spending a lot of money and didn't really have any education around it, even though she was from a family that was self-made and financially successful. So it was a client that gave me the idea to write the book and yeah, all the proceeds go to a charity that supports income opportunities and economic sustainability in third world countries. That's incredible. And and sort of that's like the nod to anyone that has access to this podcast or, you know, in the Western world with education opportunities that we have and, you know, people like Ian to follow and learn from that they can change their financial situation. You got to so, follow that book up? You got another one in you? I really have to, I have to update it. I mean, there's not even in the last five years, like there wasn't, we didn't even talk about crypto in the retail wow. space five years ago. Right. Like there's not even a mention of See, it. See, that's the cheat code in books is just don't write a new book, just update the old yeah. book. I got to update it, put some digital in there. We'll, we'll talk about some AI today, maybe put some wait. AI in there, a lot of the hot topics. But um, yeah, technology changes so fast, so... I need some updates there. But yeah, doing a lot in financial media and still just, you know, running my company, marketing, IR, business development, and finance. And I've been doing that for over 15 years now. So All right, well, we're so happy to have you both here. Um, kind of a big week. We we had a, a Fed meeting this week, which we'll get to. Um, Apple reports this week. This is the most important stock in the world. Absolutely. Uh, on a lot of levels, not just because of how big it is in the indexes, but just people pay close attention to what Apple is doing, and then they extrapolate out, well, what does this mean for everyone else? What do, what do we got on Apple going into the number? Well, Apple, I, so Tan, I don't know. Okay, great. First of all, but I will say, <laughs> I will say that it does seem like, so Apple's the last mega cap tech stock to report. Yeah. Uh, we got NVIDIA, but Apple's the, 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 the big one. And the market, hanging in the balance is too strong of a word. It's not like we're like, you know, looking at the, over the edge of a cliff, but market's been, Voldemort walking the past few days. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know if like a, an Apple beat can take the market to new highs or forget about new highs. Could like, you know, take the market to its next level. Yeah. But if Apple misses, it could definitely be a rough couple of days for the market. Yeah, I think if yeah. they miss it, oh my God, I think people yeah, I are going to full That's panic. scary. I mean, Microsoft <laughs> did well, thank God. Another one of my favorites. But if Apple doesn't do well, which I think they will, I think people are going to panic. I agree yeah. because the S&P is up about 6 or 7% on the like year to date. Yeah. Not that that, is so important, but people pay attention to year to date. Uh, Apple having a tough day tomorrow, or I guess by the time our listeners are, are listening to this today, Apple having a tough time after earnings um, would be the thing that is the, is the Dow already down on the year? The Dow is as of today negative on the year. Yeah, there's not going to be a, an earnings surprise, I don't think, from Jeez. Apple, given what no, we've a seen. Guide, from, a guidance surprise, so, so possible. But I think that the positivity in. Um, that new high yield savings account they have that just came. I think that was two weeks ago mm-hmm. when they just launched that and they got a, a billion dollars in deposits in the first four days. That's some, you know, that's incredible. Number. Yes, that's a huge number. Four two, days, two hundred forty thousand new accounts. That's through Goldman Sachs. That's at four, yeah, four point fifteen APY. You know, Bank of America, Chase. Everyone is still at point zero one percent. Would you bank with Apple? I would absolutely. It's yeah. Goldman. The caveat is that you have to already have the Apple Card. Mm-hmm. And then okay. it's all accessible through your Apple wallet on your phone. So I think with the guidance I think they're going to give us, I think it's more about rather than what this earnings um, report is and, and the guidance for it is that Apple is becoming like the Apple of everything. Apple's the future of everything, the lifestyle of everything. And as they're building out these new product offerings, how they integrate into our lives, it's like kind of like becoming – 
like Amazon and Apple. They're going to be everything. I've always said they're going to push to be the biggest brand in every space. So we'll talk about it later, but part luxury, part healthcare. Yeah. But look at how much market share they could take away from crypto in the staking space. Like okay. when I looked at the rollout, I'm like, this looks like Ethereum or Cardano of a year ago. What? Like the you're saying the the, the percentage the yield itself? Absolutely. Because okay. if I ask my aunt who knows nothing about crypto, she'll never buy crypto, but she will buy Apple. So since they're the most trusted brand, look at the conversion that they'll be able to have. Oh, so if somebody's trying to get five percent yeah. staking something yeah. with the most sophisticated, I would say, annoying technology possible. Yes. Or you could just do this. Why wouldn't they just do it? Pair with Goldman, the biggest company that's profitable. And so Jamie yeah. Dimon talked about this on the J.P. Morgan call. He's been talking about this a lot li- lately. Just like to look at J.P. Morgan and say that they're like monopolizing banking. Mm-hmm. Walmart is going to be a bank, and so is Apple. Yeah. Are are those brand names like like at, at all non competitive with J.P. Morgan and Bank of America? I don't think so. Like I think those brands are. Just when you say Apple's going to be a bank, you don't mean they're going to like register for a charter or anything like that. They're just no, going to be in banking services. I don't think they would services. want to. Yeah, yeah. But if they can, if they can deliver a, a savings account at mm-hmm. a good yield and you can access it through iOS, why wouldn't you? Well, well they and, are. And they, it is actually I don't know the answer. Is it FDIC insured? I'm sure. Your deposits, I'm sure. Dude, possibly, honestly, right? I tr- I'd, I'd rather have it be Apple insured than FDIC insured. <laughs> good point. Or yeah, either way. But either I mean, way, yeah, yeah so, uh, so, uh, just even with everything going on with regional banks, like if there's more options like this for people to plug money in at different types of accounts to get coverage of some sort, I mean, that's literally what we're talking about is all right Apple now. A te- is Apple a tech stock or a luxury brand? It doesn't. The multiples were never a tech stock. Never traded like a tech stock from a multiple point of view. Like it's always consumer low. electronic stock would have a very low multiple. No, historically, people, people would always say, people would always say that it was trading like a like at a hardware multiple, right? When it was like eleven and twelve times, and it never belonged there because yeah. it's so much bigger than. But that. I think it, it got up to like mid twenties. Chris, I put this chart up. Uh, let's put this chart up. I put this together very quickly. I should say, Sean put this together. Is the PE ratio for LVMH Moet Hennessy versus Apple? And I mean, it wow. kind of, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is like charlatanism, but um, I don't know. Do you have a take on this? Like, is this a chart crime? Yeah. Is it a little eh, bit of a not, chart? I've seen, I mean, I've seen it way worse. <laughs> it's, it's okay. So there's not stock prices, but uh, LVMH, which is the world's largest luxury goods retailer. It's every, they own everything except for Gucci, mm-hmm. right? Um, is about 33 times earnings and Apple's 28. So you could, I could hear I both hybrid. Like, should Apple trade at a premium, just given how gigantic it is? People, you could say, like, come on, it's like it's two trillion dollars. How much, how much multiple expansion could there possibly be? But then you'd be like, what other company in the world, like literally in the world, can do what they do? Where they say, all right, savings account, and you get a billion dollars in four days. That's incredible. I think they're the greatest publicly traded stock of all time. I think it's a combination of luxury, tech, and eventually healthcare. Because if you want growth, the only area that they can go into is finance and healthcare. They've dominated every other space. Yeah. They're already getting 30% of everything out of the app store. They destroyed the music industry brilliantly. What else is there to do besides healthcare? I don't know how much revenue the AirPods are doing, but they are is it like more revenue than McDonald's or Netflix? Oh, I'm making yeah. that up, but it's something crazy. Just in the Same number. Just yes. in AirPods, it's the crazy. World. That's the thing. They're mo- but I think that they are, and obviously they've been trying to do this over their earnings reports and guidance for many years now, is like going away from leading with sales of hardware to like becoming a lifestyle brand. Everything that's cardless, cashless, paperless, like Apple can drive your lifestyle from mm. your phone. To your point, they yeah. stopped reporting 
the number of units, number of iPhones they sell. Yeah. That used to be the number that Wall Street would hang on every quarter. Exactly. How many units? Now they'll t- they'll give you the revenue for the segment, but they're they're out of this game of counting how many phones because the installed base of current phones is so big that it's almost not important. Yeah. And not a lot of people that are iPhone users, if their phone breaks or gets too old, go and buy something else. Yeah, it's and, and that's that's how it becomes a luxury brand. Um, there's just a percentage of the population that are just Apple or nothing. Yeah. Well, uh, Galloway used to show that chart in New York City and the surrounding metro areas of where people have an iPhone and where people have an Android. Mm-hmm. And the further you go from the, the center of the out, city, it's it's very socioeconomic. Absolutely, really? yeah. yeah. Actually, that I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. So that's what makes it a that's what makes it a luxury brand. Like Galloway's point is, like, there's ten percent. Of, of the country that they will Statism only ever symbol. use it. Absolutely. An yeah. Android phone is that much cheaper than an iPhone? I guess so. I, I think some of them some are. Not some are f- but some even are in free, the dating scene, it's a great. thing. Like if you text someone with a green bubble, yeah, it does kind of signal that you are not high status. Ooh. That is a big thing. Oh. And back to the really? AirPod revenue, 23 But point, just because you have a blue bubble doesn't mean that you're high status. That's very true as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's very yeah. true. Apple, um, AirPod But if you're revenue, wearing a blue suit, it does. Yeah. Well, he's status. Well he and his, he and his <laughs> status. Or a blue t-shirt, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, 23 billion in revenue for 2020, more than Twitter, Spotify, and Square combined uh, for Apple AirPod revenue. Is that, the, that, I mean. 23 billion? Uh, oh, this is in the doc. I thought this was interesting. The guy that, the, the guy that they say is the godfather of Google's AI program quit Google, warned of its dangers, Apple hasn't even come out with whatever they're going to do in AI. Yeah. But you could assume it's going to be something mass market and consumer focused. Um, But just generally speaking, this is the whole story of 2023 is AI and how excited investors are and finally having a new technology to talk about, um, which I guess this this replaces crypto and cloud. Yeah. That's now old news. And this is like the new shit. Um, I know. I need to get with it. I need to learn more about AI. Is there AI. an AI Liana out there yet? Uh, I hope You created not. yourself out there to answer but questions? But I guess I or? should make one because I need to be with Someone's going to make one if you don't. <laughs> if you don't do it, yes, someone will. How how excited are you about uh, uh, AI in general? And what are you telling people who ask? I'm sure you get asked every day. Yeah. I, I think if you're not using the platform and the tools that are available, um, you're going to get replaced. So whether you're in a job, in a business, even for me in the business, like I've replaced probably 12 people with it just being more efficient. Um, all the stuff that I'm seeing in music, Biggie rapping knives, and that's been interesting to see how the music industry is adjusting there, but just on the content creation side as well. Absolutely. I, I haven't been this excited about business and entrepreneurship since I started. Yeah. Like the opportunities that are there just to create and develop things at lightness, even um like video.ai to cut up content or the stuff you can do with open labs and like, um, Synthesia, where you can like replicate your voice in 30 minutes. Like, are you using any of it for your business or not all yet? Of it. Yeah. Auto wow. GPT, Chat GPT. Wait, are you AI right now? Yes, this is AI. <laughs> the real is at home. <laughs> what did you think when you heard when you heard Biggie rapping "New York State of Mind," which is a classic Nas song, and it sounds perfect. It sounds like it's a it real Biggie song. First, thing I don't I, know how I felt about it. I'm not sure. I thought it was amazing, but the first thing I thought for the artist is like, "You're in trouble." Well, that shit went viral. Like yeah. that went global. Yeah, that was a big deal. And the Drake and Weekend song, right? So they that took they took Drake's voice, they took the Weekend, and they made a new song. And the guy is like wearing a sheet over his yeah. head, which I'm not crazy about. 
There's going to be a yeah. bull market and legal fees for this sort of stuff. Oh, absolutely. But then I heard Grimes, uh, Elon's ex-wife, who's, who's also an artist, I heard she came out and said something like, anyone that wants to create a new song using my voice, mm -hmm. I'll split the royalties with you. Yeah. So that's like another, that's another way to think about it. It's like, all right, my voice is out there in the world. I've made a thousand recordings. You could probably feed it into AI and create something. And if it's good and it makes money, thank you for doing that. I didn't have to do anything. And let's split, let's split it. Yeah, but what does that mean? Just send me a check? Like, there's a lot of shit to figure out how this is going to work. I know, but just, it's a different philosophy. So, so Drake, Drake's, Drake's approach is- I'll see you. Tell every streaming service if they don't remove that right now. Yeah. They're going to lose the rest of my music and it's, it's trouble. Yeah. And then you have an artist. I don't think she sells anything near what Drake, what Drake sells. All. But I'm saying like, just as a mentality, like, sure, use it. Cut me in. I'm cool with it. One of the analysts asked Daniel Ack from Spotify in the conference call about like all of this sort of stuff. And he's just like, listen, it's moving so fast. Like we just, we yeah. don't know yet. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of the, they could integrate it with blockchain, but it's the same thing around regulation of like crypto mm. and, and the rights to different things. I don't know what the, the different legal guidelines are around music and your voice, someone's personal voice and using that for another purpose and being profitable off of it. So royalties on the blockchain, like it sounds like silly, but I think that that's probably going to be the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And but I yeah, would, again, it's how moving so you fast. Track it? How do you, right, like, it's just, you can build you into the code it? where. So I told ChatGPT to write a blog post about investing in international stocks in the voice of downtown Josh Brown. And how did it come Because this is, this is, this is what I, what I am these days. Um, terrible. Really? Yeah. Nothing, nothing anywhere close to what I would do mm -hmm. writing about that topic because it's not creative. What it, it's generative. What it's doing, so, so what it's doing is it found mentions of me, and I guess some of the mentions of me are articles about me. Mm -hmm. That's not relevant, but I don't know if it knows that. Then it found some interviews that I gave, and I saw, it pulled some phrases out that I know are things that I've said. Mm. But all it's doing is recombining whatever the, the source material is into new versions. So there were a few things about it. I thought there'd be like five F-bombs. There were none. So that's how you know I didn't write it. Um, so I'm less worried about that. <laughs> what I'm more excited about, I think, I'm worried about the stuff where it can mimic someone. Yes. Or you can take a video and make it look like somebody did something. The deep fakes scale. That's the part yeah. that I'm worried about. I am not worried about it as a job replacer for creatives. I think what it replaces the, is the people who can least afford to be replaced. Mm. So if you come out of college and your first job, you're a copy editor. And... Somebody, a company could just say, why are we paying this kid, you know, $60,000 plus benefits yeah. right out of school when I could just take this copy, feed it into BARD or ChatGPT, have it cleaned up for grammar and have it automatically published wherever I want it published. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a real issue. Yeah. I just don't, listen, I could be. Two years from now, it could be laughable. No, what I'm saying. No, so Sam Altman was in, he's a founder of, Ch of uh, OpenAI. Was yeah. interviewed by Barry Weiss, and I found this in George Peleg's blog, uh, Substack. He he said, "This is a quote from Sam Altman: Over time, the shift of leverage from labor to capital as technology continues gets more and more extreme, and that's a bad thing. And I can imagine technology like AI pushing that even further. So exactly to that. Josh's point.
Well, it's all anything like back office analysis, research, writing, Grunt work journalism. is done. Grunt yeah, work is over. done. But the problem is, is that if you take away those ent- more entry level roles for people, how they learn and work their way up, eventually baby boomers and all of us will age out of the system. And then how are those new leaders created in industry without having that experience? That's such a great point. Yeah. You need grunt workers, exactly. not for the grunt work. To get. But so that they will be the next non-grunt How do you climb the ladder if there's no rungs on the bottom of it? Yeah, exactly. Right. You hollow out certain professions. There's just going to be this lack of like real experience because people weren't needed early in their career. And so to grab them earlier. Eighth grade, ninth grade. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Like my son's number, section. Put the number work. one thing in our community. That <laughs> Ian's we, going child labor. So like with, with um, AI. You do but, have controversial views. You're right. Child labor. Go on. <laughs> Put four. Xander, I need you to do more work this weekend. But when I'm looking at the AI landscape and for the jobs that will be replaced, our audience is like, well, this widen the wealth gap. Absolutely. I think it has yeah. to. Yeah. Absolutely. Doesn't every technology widen the wealth gap? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So yeah. if this is as big as the internet, like mm-hmm. if this is that earth-shaking of an emergence of a new technology, I mean, we probably can't predict the ways in which it'll affect the workforce. No way. But you can't say it's, it It won't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think prompt generation and curation for AI is the new version of coding. Wait, say that. What do you mean by that? So the ability to prompt correctly and check. Prompting. Okay. Yes. Like how to give the right instructions, instructions to the AI. Yes. For that and curation through mid-journey and to be able to create. Like I've seen someone like work on a short film through mid-journey. It was amazing. Mid-journey is like um, artwork, not yes. text. Yeah. Okay. So knowing how to do those things at scale. Because if you look 25 years ago and say, hey, we'll be sitting in a room doing a broadcast at scale. People will be like, it, it will cost too much. Like, I think the evolutionary leap that we're going to take in the next, especially when ChatGPT5 comes out and then when Apple gets involved, and it's, I mean, the first thing I thought, why don't they have it for iMessage yet? Yeah. So when we have those things there. They will. When we have it at scale, it is going to be game, set, match for a lot of people and we have to adjust. Talking about technology and what it can do. And I think, were you and I talking about how progress is deflationary? Or was was that about somebody? Is it always though? For most things, technology progress. Yeah. Is. So, yeah. so for example, uh, over the weekend, Patrick, O'Sha- uh, not over the weekend, it's Thursday. Uh, we were at an event that Patrick O'Shaughnessy was at, and he was interviewing some guy, um, uh, Jason. I can't remember his last name. Uh, but anyway, they were saying that the battery that's in the Tesla today, mm-hmm. if that was built in 1991, it would have cost a million dollars to build. Wow. Crazy. Was it Jason Statham? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think AI will be the third biggest story of 2023. What would be the top? What two? are the top two? Like inflation and interest rate, interest rates, and still, banking. you still think we're going to be worried about infla- inflation by the end of this year? I think Absolutely. it's still going to be a topic of conversation. Interest rates and inflation will end up being like the number one thing still of 2023. Interest rates, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm putting both those in the same category, mm-hmm. and then yeah. number two is probably like banking, shakeups in banking. Number I think three, that's AI. yeah. I think that and AI are the two big ones. We already have. Uh, we already have a case of AI having a direct effect on a business. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a stock, Chegg. Anybody ever heard of this? Yes. Yeah. Not, before, not before yesterday. the stupidest name I've yeah, ever heard. Yeah, not before yesterday. <laughs> actually, <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. All right, let me set this up. The stock dropped 42% after warning that- That they were going to become a bank. That, yeah. yeah, we're going to become a regional bank. <laughs> this time. Uh, Chegg plummeted 42% after warning that ChatGPT tool is threatening growth of its homework help services- one of the most notable market reactions yet Jesus. to signs that generative AI is upending industries. So Chegg 
gives online guidance for students taking tests and writing essays. That Done. sounds like cheating. Done. Um, they gave revenue and profit forecasts for the current quarter that fell well short. Chegg makes much of its money from subscriptions, which start at fifteen ninety five a month. That's a revenue source that's in peril if students see AI chatbots as an alternative to paying. The impact uh, – so, all right. Uh, that's a thing. IBM said they're going to replace 7,800 jobs with AI. This So this is not a 2024 story. This yeah. is now. No. Also, to the other one today, chipmaker AMD up 8% just today on the Bloomberg report that um, they're going to be working with Microsoft and a new AI processor. Mm. That was like just Oh, that's a big out. deal. Yeah, yeah just huge. today, one day. Right. So this is like we were talking about AI like three years ago or two years ago. Like this is coming. Mm-hmm. Now it's here. And it emerged like overnight. November 30th, ChatGPT went live, and now we already have companies that basically are being decimated. Can we be honest? Chuck's business model was shitty beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Like it, I mean, it did well through COVID. Great. I'm looking at the price now. Topped out at oh, one, it's, yeah, it's one fifteen and 21 It's down to $9. If, if, wow. Like, if your company got destroyed because of ChatGPT right now, A, the business model was wrong. Going back to Apple with having a luxury price, the margins are really thin. So if you're... Charging fifteen ninety nine a month, most people are dropping off at month four. You only net in probably eighteen to thirteen percent. Mm. It's a horrible business model as is. Yeah. The question about IBM: Why did they not have this when they built Watson? That's my like. What is going on with their leadership? That's and such. That's such a great point. They've been talking about AI forever. And this st- stupid Jeopardy playing robot for like, I don't know, 10 years. Well, what about Google? I just feel like when you get to the point of like, just you have that much to lose and you'd rather, a lot of companies would just rather melt the ice cube, right? Because they're not worried about 20 years. They're worried about like 20 days from now or the next quarter, the next Mm. quarter, the next quarter. Is that a mistake though? Absolutely. Well, well, from whose point of view? If you're not worried about like 10 years from now and you're worried about Mm self-preservation, like incentive-wise for yourself, it might not be a mistake, but it's a mistake for the company long-term. Absolutely. Speaking of self-preservation, we had a Fed uh, Fed rate decision this week. There's not a ton to say about it. Um, the the bank stocks all crashed throughout the course of the week. The Fed seems not to be that worried about it, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. I guess I we'll find out. Thing, yeah. uh, let me let me set this up. The Federal Reserve raised rates for the tenth time, twenty five basis points. The new target range is five to five and a quarter. Ten times. Ten times in a row. Wow. Without stopping. Uh, that's the highest Fed funds rate since 2007. Mm. Um, things didn't go well last time. Uh, the statement hinted at a pause. They took some stuff out of the, the, the statement that made people think, yeah, this is Brian Westbury at First Trust. The Fed removed language from the previous statement that it, quote, anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate, end quote. They also took out a reference to future increases in the target range. So the emphasis is that uh, now the emphasis in the statement is that further rates hikes may be appropriate with no reference to future increases. Um, They're done. The market is saying that they're done, but not saying that they're cutting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe three or four quarter point rate cuts by the end of January 2024. So were were either of you guys surprised at all by that? Do we have these charts? Yes. So let's put this first one up real quick. Um, this is the stock market mm. reaction and let's put up the next one. So this is the, the, the new target range. Uh, were either of you guys surprised at all by anything that 
went down on the reaction or the statement or not really? I don't think so. I think consensus has been pretty much right yeah. all along, and which is a good thing. Like there shouldn't be big surprises out of this every month, right? But I think the, yeah. the comments and what they do next month is going to be a big – a big thing for what happens, obviously, with regional banks, mm-hmm. but just how the rest of the year is going to look as well. What do you think? I wasn't surprised at all. I expected a quarter. The question is, what number do we need to get to to balance the market out to where they need? Because, yeah. of course, they just raised, so they can't cut right away. Yeah. They'll wait till next year, but do we need to be at 65 7%? Like, what's the real number to stop the bleeding? And I know he's in a tight spot, but it's like— I feel like he's giving conflicting messages every time that he speaks. Six and a half is devastating. Yeah. For, yeah. Uh, my my opinion. If- I think June is going to be really interesting. Like now it's like so – I think it's getting so close that people really want to know like when is there going to be a pause. But what, is- what happens in the next like week over the rest of the regionals, like the ones that are going down now following yesterday – like that, I think, is going to be really telling us to what they do in June as well. This is the second time in a row that Powell said, all right, we're, we're just just another 25, just another 25. And the bond market said, I don't believe you. Yeah. The two-year fell last time after they did it. I think they raised to 475, 500. The two-year immediately went under 4%, I believe. Yeah. And it did it again yesterday. Same thing. And it's it's following through today a little bit to the downside. The regional bank thing is got gotten much worse. And so now First Republic is resolved. They thought they— People thought in the media that that would put an end to this, mm-hmm. and that happened over the weekend. And so Monday morning, the market opened up. J.P. Morgan basically stole First Republic, and I think there was an assumption out there on the part of some people, maybe even me a little bit, like, okay, the bank run part is probably over, mm-hmm. and now we have a few banks that are still in trouble, and they'll they'll get rescued, but they're not as big as First Republic. Um, these are small banks at this point. Comerica is not big. What are the other ones? Pac uh, West. Pac West, West, which I never heard of until yeah. two months ago. Western Alliance, which I could care less about. Yeah. First I, Foundation. Yeah, I think yeah. it's not the banks themselves. It's the amount mm-hmm. that could be in trouble. That's uh, that's startling to the markets. I think it's the contagion effect of like there are there are hundreds of thousands of millions of people that are employed by and use these banks regionally in places yeah. that are not New York City or Los Angeles or like yeah. major coastal cities. You know, a lot of people that are part of your community, I'm sure, yeah. are banking with these regional banks because yeah. that's what's nearest to them in their small town. Like it really has a big contagion effect. And that's what's scary to me as someone that is DMing with and talking to people day to day. Like there's no, this situation does not help generate trust in the financial system or in the banking system for at-home investors. So no depositors have, no depositors have ever lost money in the history of the FDIC. Mm -hmm. It's almost a hundred years. It's never happened. And no depositors have lost money this year, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because people don't understand that. They don't want to hear it. They don't care. And that's why the money, I think, remains in motion and the cost of funding these banks just goes up as the yeah. Fed does what it's doing. Well, other, I would say the average yeah. person probably doesn't even know what FDIC is no means way. or that there's $250,000 of depositor insurance. Well, Gallup did a yeah. poll. We know it. That's not yeah. the average. Gallup did a poll April 3rd through April 25th, so effectively in the midst of all this. Uh, they said, how worried are you about the safety of money you have deposited in banks yeah, and this. other financial institutions? Mm-hmm. And only 20% said not worried at all. Uh, 19% said very worried. 
Another 29% said moderately worried and 30%. So it's about 50% of people are worried. But that was a month ago too. Let's yeah. see what happens if they right. do you know why this, this month. And you know you why know? this is relevant? They're not asking how worried are you about the banking system. Yeah. They're saying how worried are you about the safety of money you, you put in. have deposited in banks. And that's all that matters. Well, so, and that's what's getting lost in this discussion about, oh, the system is strong because Citigroup and JP Morgan and they have these ratios – People don't give a shit about ratios. Yeah. Like they care about their money. And that that panic, maybe it's slowed down, but it's still with us. I would have liked to have seen a follow-up question. So like, are you moving your money? Because like, what does moderately worried mean? Like, are you worried to the point that you're moving your money? I think another thing is like, even if even if people will say, okay, I'm not worried necessarily that my money's going to disappear because I don't have more than $250,000, mm-hmm. but I'm worried about getting 0% interest rates. Pay me. Right? Like if I could get four and a half. So that's why the money I think continues to remain in motion is people just want to get paid. And if we think about it, banking is maybe one of the only industries where almost at scale no one trusts the players there. Like I can name every other like you got there's no Steve Jobs in It's true. It's like less trusted in the government. I was gonna say custodians, but that's banks too. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jamie Dimon may be the most trustworthy publicly facing, and most people don't like him. Kudos to everyone at JP Morgan. Love you guys. (laughs) Yeah. But most people couldn't tell you who was the CEO of PacWest, and we talked about trust before. Yeah. I don't know why they don't have more people that are advocates of those institutions to build trust. But even with the federal chairman, I think they should just deliver the news and like, this is what is really going to happen. It will suck. The, like, same thing in parenting. If you're like, hey, I'm going to ground you for two weeks. But after these two weeks, if you never do this again, we're clear. Great. I think when we tell a person we're going to raise rates, then cut and we're fine and the entire world is panicking. Like, even our audience, they'll go on CNBC and watch you and look at everyone's. They're like, the investors look worried. How are you going to tell me not to worry about a bank? Oh, that's interesting. Like, I see volatility on the screen on CNBC. So why are you telling me to remain calm? everything's fine. And then banks, it feels like 2007 and 8 all over again. There's a lot of pressure on regionals. And I think the big four are going to get even bigger. Mm-hmm. But it was a great acquisition for sure. It by, does feel like, does everybody feel like you're taking crazy pills? It's like, wait a minute. The Fed is hiking rates after... Mm-hmm. And, rescu- and rescuing banks simultaneously. Like, what is yeah. happening here? So they asked Powell, a reporter asked him, just wondered if you have any regrets or was there anything that, you know, decisions that maybe you regret now in light of what's happened? And Powell said, I've had a few, sure. And he did it with a smirk on his <laughs> like face. Sinatra. I mean, had a few. you know, who doesn't look back and, and think that you could have done things differently? But honestly, you don't, you don't get to do that. I kind of would, if they could, you get some truth serum in him, which... What does he regret? I would I would guess it's wait it's waiting so long to raise yeah, rates. So they didn't start until March last year. 20, March of twenty two, and inflation was already over six percent for multiple months. Yeah, and the housing market was on fire, and they were still stimulating the economy. Like, I would I would think that that would have to be his regret, as opposed to like all of these consecutive rate hikes. Yeah, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world, though. Like, yeah, I don't think there's been a blueprint. For what to do. Of course, we can sit on the sidelines and say, I would have done this. But in that seat, man, that's incredibly difficult. And also, for the first time in 2020, in a long time, people felt like, okay, I can get into crypto, investing, and make money. And now people feel like it's been snatched away. So we had one year to make a lot of money to make up for the losses that we'll have for the next three. That's a tough job to to I'm glad you said that. Like, how many people started investing for the first time in 2020 and 2021, and then the rug was pulled? One out of four? Like almost, yeah, an entire like gener- an entire generation, generation discovered the market at the same now, time. How about this? Retail investors became twenty five percent of the daily volume. Yes, like that's insane. And our like when we talk to our audience, they feel like it was planned. 
What do you mean? That's it. Like, as soon as we like, get oh, into they, real estate, crypto, NFT, indexes, they pull the rug on us because they didn't want us to have wealth. I mean, it's, if you... It's in it's, every age range. But, but that's, that's what happens in every bubble. It happens in every, sure. every generation, every bubble. too. Yeah. Like, by, yeah. by the definition of people chasing. Yeah. People chase more, people chase more. Somebody's the last one on the door. Absolutely. So my, my generation got rugged. The Gen Xers discovered investing in the late 90s, mm-hmm. early 2000s. Penny stock mania. So I was like yeah. the youngest. I was the youngest. This is very important for everyone to understand. I'm the youngest Gen Xer born in 1977. Okay. Like like my year. But so you're like, like almost a millennial. I'm like a child. I'm almost the oldest millennial. Well, we know you're a man child. My, <laughs> my, hair, my hair got rugged when I was 22. Yeah, that, that's true. That was planned. Bald is beautiful. <laughs> no, no, no. But like my generation discovered stocks in like 98. Yeah. Everybody at the same oh time. God. And then we had two years of making tons of money mm-hmm. and everyone got real comfortable and everyone thought they were a genius. Yeah. And then it almost felt planned. Like how fast the NASDAQ fell apart. Oh my God. And like not cut in half, down 90%. Yeah. And all the stocks that people were, were actually trading went to zero. And it felt that way. It felt like a betrayal. Well, I hope that they took some of their profits and bought a house. Uh, I certainly did. Because I, that's what me, I, I graduated college in 2009 trying to get a job in finance and ended up getting one that I didn't really like very much as an advisor. I just didn't like the firm I was working yeah. with. But I saved my money and bought a house. <laughs> a great investment. And that was the best investment I've ever made. More money than stock so far. Good for well, you. incredible. Listen, thank God NFTs weren't around then. <laughs> you might not have the house. Do you think some of these super cycle debt bubbles are created by venture? Because I don't think we've talked about the role that angel investing and venture has had in these bubbles. That's, 99, a, that's a great point. Because now, what, what they did, I'm sorry, finish your thought. No, no, you, go ahead. What, what venture did was they subsidized all of us yes. for the last 15 years. Yes. How many years did Uber lose money for? All of the companies that we were the beneficiary of, how for how Airbnb, long? Like all of them. Yes. All of them. We'll do the series D. We'll Nordash. do the series G, L, M. They just kept going. Yeah. Lose money, gain cost, gain market share, just keep going. We got your back. We'll fund you, we'll fund you, we'll fund you. Yeah. And they were a huge, they were a huge part of this. FTX. And not 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 all in a bad way, by the way. Yeah. Like they gave us a lot of incredible, incredible products. Yeah. But but right and then and then the switch flips and they all have to make money mm-hmm. and I'm they leave crypto and go right to but AI. wait but the, but the but the pandemic was a switch True. like that was what caused all of the shit that we're dealing with now and Those we're stocks. now all of it all of it us being at home locked up just yeah. trading 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 so so if they pause in June and that and we just witnessed the last hike of the cycle what does the stock market do. <laughs> That's a guess. Is that bullish yeah, because be they're bullish. done or is it bearish because, be oh, bullish. my God, why did they pause? The last – the pause is either super bullish or super bearish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, go, that's, that's where I see. Yeah, going into the next three or four weeks, the June meeting, very telling on what the summer will look like. But you know you why? Think so? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I they only so. cut when shit is breaking, right? So the cut – No cut. They're just pause. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. But after a pause, eventually is a cut. Well, yeah. Well, right? that's, yeah. Well, no, not Hopefully. necessarily. You okay, pause so let's talk, and then start hiking Let's again. talk about this. So Powell said yesterday, the case of avoiding a recession is, in my view, more likely than, a, than that of having a recession. I can't imagine he would have said that six months ago. He probably would have been much more vague about it. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that we can be here legitimately talking about no recession, a soft landing is possible. Despite all the banks blowing up, like a lot of the economic data, Atlanta now, the Fed tracker is, I think, projecting 2.7% growth for the next quarter. Really? Like the fact that they could even pull this off, whether or not they deserve credit for it, 
is kind of is kind of nuts. Yeah, and one of a kind situation. Like ten straight rate hikes, banks failing, housing market frozen, a million other things thrown at us, and and it might be okay. Put this uh, chart up: S and P five hundred after the last Fed hike. This from Cali Cox. So this is interesting. The outcomes. Oh, wow. Uh, I don't see any rhyme or reason here. So this is every month and year where the Fed had done the last rate hike, and then they're showing you what the S&P does up to 12 months after that hike. And It's not quite binary, but it's pretty it, no, extreme. But it's, but it's all over the place. It's uh, August 71, May of 74, February of 95, June of 06, all these moments. And stock stock returns range after 12 months. Range from down fifteen percent to up thirty five percent. But it's it's pretty it's really bad or pretty pretty good. So nineteen eighty seven, we uh, obviously know what happened yeah, in October. Sure, sure. Yeah. They stopped in May two thousand, right? Uh, we know what happened in the tech wreck. They stopped in June two thousand six, and all of those led to catastrophic markets, right? Like not twelve months later, but four, three months later, five months later, really really bad. I would love to see the data versus when they were pumping in money versus when they were halting a little bit to see if that would make a huge difference in these gains. But there's no, there's no precedent for what we just experienced. Yeah. Like if you're looking for an analog for what we just lived through, you can't find forget one. about it. Yeah. Um, regional bank losses this week, and this is as of Thursday, so expect worse Friday. <laughs> and Michael just bought the KRE, so you know they're not done, fully done going down. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty five. No, that. I respect that buy. No, I'm into that. I, I would sure. buy it at thirty though. No, I haven't. I haven't bought Panic in a while. So you bought pure panic today. I mean, I was thinking FRC, but I'm glad I, I just didn't it's have enough data I'm not. That, that's to, crazy. That's crazy. Well, th- I'm, I'm talking not, like, you're, you're I don't insane. know, two months ago. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. but yeah, I didn't have enough data points to have conviction Liana on that. is so gully. She's like straight for the F- FRC. I do it all, you guys. Like Coinbase. I'm like into whenever there's negative news, I'm like, ooh. All right. Here's the here's the rundown. Pack West down six. This is this week, guys. Yeah. And it's Thursday. Down 67%. Home Street down forty eight percent. First Horizon down forty seven percent. Metropolitan down forty. First Foundation thirty five. Western Alliance thirty four. Comerica down twenty five. That's uh, bad. What's West Banco? That sounds fake. Down twenty five percent. Zion down twenty five percent. And we'll, we won't throw Schwab into this conversation, but that has not had a good week. Uh, this is pretty. This is pretty wild that that's happening with simultaneous. Uh, rate hikes and we're all just like all right let's see how much worse it's going to get in a vacuum if you knew that these are companies if you knew just in a vacuum that regional banks were failing left and right maybe left and right is a bit of a stretch but I mean they kind of are you would say Fed's probably cutting (laughs) and yet it's tough I mean PacWest is at 308 now I mean in 2000 and what was that 8 it was at 0 got bailed of course and pushed back up to 12 but I think all of these are going to go back to lows. Previous episode, like never buy lower lows. Yeah. Like, well, we're going to see KRE unless, unless, no, I'm just kidding. Well, he just no, did it. So. No, no, you're right. No, listen. <laughs> but listen, here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people are buying these stocks. Vanda Track or Vanda Research was in the quote in the Wall Street Journal saying, before SVB failed, net retail purchases of First Republic was twenty to $60,000 a day. So basically Jeez. zero. That figure surged to an average of $9.3 million a day. Uh, on April 24th, when First Republic disclosed that it lost $100 billion in deposits, net retail purchases were $8.6 million. And here's why. What the hell are these people here's why. doing? Here's why. They, they found Mr. Hamlin. 
who said that he likes to trade stocks in small increments as a, quote, diversion. He says he was emboldened after making money on Hertz, which paid out shareholders despite the bankruptcy we know about. He said, quote, this is fun money. I call it my ice cream account. There's a lot of people that are doing this. Yeah mildly responsibly, like I am. So I just bought a little bit. It's I'm gambling. I'm having fun. Is that your ice cream account, Michael? It's, it's, not, it's not, you know, it's all good. Whether I make money, I lose money. But so so $9 million sounds like, holy shit, $9 million up from an average of 60,000. But how many people are we talking about? Yeah. Right? It's a lot of people. So yeah. a lot of people are just like, whatever, I'll, I'll buy $2,000 worth and I'm just, it's a lot of take, I'm having fun. What are, you what are you telling like the Red Panda people if they come to you and they're like, is there an opportunity here or how should I? You're, I'm like, you're an idiot. Yeah, okay. Flat out. Because you, you don't want the risk because I know- You talking to me? I was just going to no, say, you're talking to me. Whoa. You're, you're, <laughs> you're <laughs> a seasoned <laughs> no, investor, no, right? <laughs> LOL. But if you're going to be if you're gonna be re reckless, be reckless responsibly. How do you do that? <laughs> with the small- with the sm <laughs> That's like getting halfway drunk. <laughs> no, with the small- I'm a quarter high. high. No, with the, with the small amount of money. Stop. Yeah. Okay. No, with the small amount of money. Be reckless responsibly? Yeah. Oh, that's a great. I mean, you can that's have like your tagline. 10 shares, 20 <laughs> shares. Responsibly reckless. I'm not opposed to that if it's at the right level. But what we know when most people are trading AMC, GameStop, Hertz, Doge. But that's what retail so I'm going to give Michael some shit. backup here, you guys. Okay? Do so it. there's over 5,200 regional banks, local local and regional banks. We're looking at a list of like five, whatever, half yeah. of us haven't even heard of it, and we work in the industry before today. There's 145 holdings in the KRE ETF. So if you're approaching this from an ETF perspective, those 145 holdings, and there's what, seven in trouble this yeah, week of those 5,200? And they're probably tiny in the index yeah. too. So recklessly responsible on buying an ETF. I'm not buying ETF PacWest. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're, you're buying- getting exposure to 145 of 5,200 of these banks. Yeah, might exactly. I lose money? Sure, no big deal. But if you're buying, if you're just like flinging like a, a individual regional bank here, like that's kind of nuts. Like yeah. I know somebody that personally, like when First Republic dropped- they bought it, and then uh, shout to you. Leave it in the comment if you want to. But he lost like eighty grand Ooh. doing it. Yeah. So, See, I, so I, I thought about that's it, too much but money. I, I didn't unless have enough it's Unless it's Diddy, unless it's Diddy, and he's no, well, it wasn't Diddy. <laughs> but the funny part is, like, people they will hide those losses until it was like, okay, it's from receivership. What does that mean? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, First Republic. I was like, Fuck. no, because that's how you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also people screwing around in these stocks with options. Because yeah, that's not, a lot of it too. It's not volatile enough. You need even more juice. Yeah. Um, what's in this KRE then? If it's not these bullshit stocks where they're not big in it, let's take, let's take a look. New York Community Bank Corp is, uh, the biggest weighting, 4% NYCB, M&T, Regions. So First Horizon is in there. Yeah. And that's the fourth largest. Citizens, um, which bought, uh, which one, Citizens bought Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. Okay. Huntington Bank shares, Truist. Which I think is the old M and T bank yeah. merged with SunTrust, and then Western Alliance is in the top ten. Um, so I mean, listen, I None I don't think they're all going to zero. Yeah. So I like the ETF approach. I I do agree with you, Liana and and Michael. I just feel like I'm going to get it lower. But individual stocks yeah. in the regional space they have no competitive advantage. But you I don't have to time it perfectly, right? Wait, what do you mean by that? Like, just because they're in a region, that's not enough anymore. It's not enough. I mean, we saw that in 2007 and 2008. Like, yeah. they got squeezed and consolidated then. So if I'm comparing them head up, I have to pick PacWest, Regions versus JP Morgan, et cetera. Like, you can do it as a swing trade, maybe as a value play. But I don't think most people are going to get the return out of these that they're actually expecting. So let me ask you guys this. In terms of the way that this might affect the communities, the local communities that use these regional banks, let's just say that a big bank buys one of these banks, mm -hmm. right? And the branch is still there. There's a different owner. There's a different 
banner or a different logo, whatever, but more or less the same people are there. I'm sure some back office people might get, you know, duplicitous roles get cut out. Mm-hmm. Are those banks now not going to extend credit because they're larger banks? Like, I feel like people keep saying that, and I'm sure there might be some truth there, but we don't know that. Lending standards have gone up. That's data. Absolutely. That's definitive. Yeah. They, it is harder but, but, to borrow money now. Yeah, but that's because of the economy. That's because of the macro backup. That's not because they're now owned by a different bank. No, but if there are, if there are less options— No, my point is just big picture— is less community banks bad? Thing. Yes. How can yeah. it not be? Well, I, mean, I mean, I'm from Canada, right, just where he's... the system is. I'm still a Canadian, so I grew up with the system. Four that banks is control everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and there's a lot of stability there. But so it's good. But there's yes, a big so I, I think so. There's a big difference between four banks and 5,900, whatever the number. Yeah, you probably there's, don't there's need 5,900. Yeah, some you know credit unions and regional banks versus 5,200 people with banking licenses. So firms not to get on a soapbox, but this is something you'll hear politicians say, make the case for, which is that our local they'll say our our community banks, our local banks, there are roots in the community. They help like one bank helps successive generations of the same family Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, maintain their business or, you know, take out another mortgage on a property a when times are tough. Yeah. That's what you lose yeah. if you lose these 5,200 banks. It's And you might not give a shit and there are people that don't. And you might say, well, actually, isn't it better if there are seven mega banks that are sophisticated and know what they're doing and I think I think you lose something. But, wait, I'm, but I'm I'm saying that these banks might still be there. They just might have a different logo. It's not like these banks. But it will never. Pulled, but it but won't the be the same. And lending practices and the relationships will be different. Yeah, yeah probably. But yeah. like, but I'm saying, but how how bad? We I don't, just don't think we know. We don't know. But you know, they will replace tellers with kiosks and screens, and they will replace personal relationships with one size fits all email yeah. communication. And apps will take the place of storefronts. And it's going to happen anyway. Uh, speaking of communication, is there a reason why the chatbots on websites are not replaced by AI? So I, I was on the co- phone. I'm like, no, no. Cus- customer service. <laughs> so bad, customer yeah. service. That's you sound that you're at your most Jewish when you're pretending to yell into a phone at a robot. <laughs> no! <laughs> you don't talk like that. I'm not my most Jewish in Montable. So. You're at your most like Larry David. Uh all right, let's 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 move on. Coinbase. This is something that I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. New civil lawsuit accuses Coinbase directors and executives, a star-studded list of elite Silicon Valley investors, including Mark Andreessen and Fred Wilson, along with the company's CEO and its co-founder, of dumping shares soon after the crypto exchange went public, knowing it was likely to miss its financial targets. So you know, they named Brian Armstrong the CEO. They named the CFO. The two of them sold $2.9 billion worth of stock uh, with those other names. It's prudent. It's um, prudent right there. Yeah. Right after the market came public in April of 2021. I would just say, like, isn't that what the public offering is for? The insiders to get some liquidity? I'm glad you said that. I was about to say, what's wrong with that? Well, <laughs> unless there's, like, blackout. Unless there's something truly illegal. I'm glad you asked. Um, the allegation is that the insiders— were like made aware yes. that some bad numbers are coming and the public was led to believe that things were going great. That's that's what the, the lawsuit. Yeah. Um, between Coinbase's listing on April 14th and mid-May, 
Wilson sold $1.8 billion worth of stock. That's a lot. That's a lot. How See, much? $1.8 Ooh. Uh, he's, I mean, he's a venture fund. He's supposed yeah. to sell stock. Uh, CEO Brian Armstrong sold $292 million worth. Andrew Eason sold $119 million worth. So that was a huge IPO, super hyped up. I think the stock went to 400 or something. Wait, hang on. I'm sorry. When you said insider, I thought you meant like an employee of Coinbase. No, but these are like venture investors no, but, who but are- isn't, But isn't that what the IPO is literally for to get yeah, liquidity? It just looks really bad. It's, it's yeah, more it of a bad. moral thing. There's so, there's so many issues like in our space that are really kind of a lot of us or maybe not the four of us, but are responsible for is like the headlines in the media. It's not necessarily, yeah, like if it's normal selling, that's not, you know, insiders being like being sued, they're allowed to do it. Of course. Yeah. And VCs like that's literally that's why they get they involved do. in these yeah. deals. They sell this. But look at all the SPACs. Yeah. Look at like Chamoff. They're not, war- they're not buying hold. It's not Berkshire <laughs> yeah. Hathaway. It's We're a venture illegal. fund. Um, but yeah, I think just, I, I think, think the headlines are kind of messing with this one too. But I think the thing when the venture and Andrew community are promoting these projects so much. That's the issue. And then exiting yes. and not kind of saying, hey, I'm now getting out. That's when the more hazard starts. Literally look at all those facts that happened. I agree. Yeah, Virgin Galactic <laughs> was one of them. Yeah. That's really the issue is that if you're like the face, if you're a venture investor and you're doing all this media and you're on Twitter and you're crowing about how smart you were to be in Coinbase or any of these other things. And then, so it almost That's becomes- gross. It becomes like part of your identity. Yeah. yeah. And then like, Two weeks after the thing goes public, you sell $2 billion worth. Yeah. Even if you're entirely within your right to do that, it looks bad looks if the bad. stock falls 90%. Or how much did Coinbase go down from the high? 429 Tons. down to, is that 49 now? Is That's it, never going to be a good look. No. Yeah. So the old model of hedge funds, venture funds is shut the f*** up. Don't tweet. Yeah. Don't, don't do TV. Like you're yeah. you're an insider de facto. You might not be a CEO, but if you own five percent of a company that's going public, you're prominent face of that thing. Yeah, but the, you know the fall of Coinbase's stock has has not happened overnight. It's happened over the last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it started on day one though. <laughs> yeah, it did. But you know, it, it's that that happens with a lot of IPOs though, and it's there's so many multiple factors from crypto winter. Um, there's so much has happened. I would agree that a lot of it was outside of Coinbase. I'm holding. Like, I'm, I'm curious, were people talking about those sales um, when this happened last year, or is it just now in hindsight? I don't know. Chief executives selling that much would always raise a bunch of red this flags. Is not, so, so this is the thing, though. It's not just chief executives. It's prominent investors. No, I know, but I'm just saying, seeing 2.9 billion sold by the CFO and CEO, gr- so isn't I that a bad agree, sign? I agree that that's like, you couldn't have spaced that out over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm holding my computer to show a bar chart of all of these recent IPOs. The green is their current valuation, and the gray is what they were at the peak. So Coinbase went from a $65 Jesus. billion market cap to down to 13 Rivian was, my God, Rivian was yeah. 90. Now, every, I think, I don't know if Rivian was the exact top, but everybody was like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. In Coinbase, that's enough. In Coinbase's defense, if you read their S1, you read their filing, it's like hundreds of pages of risk disclosures. They basically, every potential risk on it, regulatory risk, all the things that yeah. actually happened, like there could be problems in the crypto market, there could be lawsuits. They told you what all those risks were. But in the moment they came public, April of 21. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit no about cared. any of that. Like people yeah. were just buying things because they woke up in the morning and the environment changed and that's not inside of Coinbase's control. So, I, I mean, I'm not defending them in a lawsuit, but 
I just I feel like that There's that part of, of it should be there. brought out. And it goes back to your point that you've always talked about not to invest in brokerages long term because of margins and regulations is, is really tough. Do we think yeah. there will ever be like a major crypto brokerage that is allowed here or Gensler is just going to axe that completely? Well, he won't be in the seat forever and we don't know who comes in after him. I, I assume I assume I don't know the outcome of the 24 election, but I assume the Republican that comes in if they beat Biden replaces him overnight yeah. with somebody that maybe is more crypto friendly. Okay. Um, but the bigger picture for me, brokerage margins Terrible. only go in one direction. Down. Yeah. You can't get more for a trade. Yeah. So Coinbase had incredible margins in 2020. They could basically, they could make a spread on trades that is like nothing else in any other asset class. And there was no way that was going to stay forever. They still are. Somebody told me that they were trying to buy uh, USDC on Coinbase, just like see what it was like. 3.8%. Yes, but, 3. The volumes have, but the volumes have dried up. Nobody's doing that. The I'm institutions saying, are not I, trading at that insane. rate. That's insane. It's insane. That they're still- Why? That, Why were they trying to do it on Coinbase? They were just saying. Oh. But the fact that they're still doing retail like that. So they released this in all of their numbers every quarter. The institutional trading, I'm making this up, but it's directionally right. It's like 10 times what retail is, but they only make up 20% of the revenue. Mm. Retail is paying like- Eight, again, I'm making this up eight times more, whatever it is, than institutional money. But trans, crazy. In, in the financial, the, and they claim to be a moderate. That's the that's the the future of finance. Mm -hmm. Is three point eight percent spreads. No, so, I think it's the past. It's ridiculous. So we know that over time, um, spreads trend lower, commissions trend to zero. Why would crypto be any different? And of course, it turned out that it wasn't. Um, all right, let's let's keep it moving. We talked about this influencer stuff. Uh, what else do we have in here? Oh, the, all the promoted crypto stuff and, and, uh, NFT stuff. I think a lot of famous people just got bad advice, uh, from the people that were around them. Mm -hmm. And I also think it was the era. Like a lot of people just felt like the rules don't really apply to me. Yeah. I get an airdrop of a coin. I, I do a, not me. Somebody gets an airdrop of a coin because they're famous or they're, they're like, uh, in the right room. They get the drop and then they go into a TikTok and tell everybody, hey, this coin is great. And then they sell it. Yeah. And I, I think they probably just thought like it's a game. Who cares? But a lot of regular people got just destroyed. It just amazes me though. Like when the day that Kim Kardashian posted that Ethereum Max thing and Floyd Mayweather, I was like, what? And she's a lawyer. That's the, yeah, that's the crazy well, part. Well, I mean, whatever. But <laughs> and Ruth, lawyer, no, kudos Ruth, to her. Shout to Kim. But, <laughs> no disrespect, but you would no, think no a lawyer. But she's not a securities lawyer. Might, that's she's true. Not a but, lawyer. but you would think a lawyer might have come across some material, giving them some sense that they are responsible for their I own just, actions. I just yeah, like when you say they got some bad advice. Of course, yeah. Obviously, these people have full management teams, and legal teams. You I noticed just the mother didn't do it. I just that's can't believe Chris, that Chris anyone it. said to either of those individuals to do it. Yeah. Like I just can't. The, the day I saw that come out, I was like. What? That also, was like the worst blunder. Financial of products and healthcare products are the two things where there's no leeway. Don't you can't f around can't with that. Around. Yeah. Like you could you could promote you could promote a, a bottled water and like it's just not good water. You can't attach yourself to a token or yeah. like a, a pharmaceutical without like legal advice from somebody that actually knows those industries. That's saying that 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 really shocked me actually, I have to say. Uh, brought me to the point that I put it in the doc, but why don't you think more banks and institutions don't grab celebrities to advocate for those brands to build trust? Because if they don't, it ends up making room for Doge and Pepe Coin and 
Oh, why don't reputable financial institutions use uh, celebrities? Yes. Insurance companies do. They they take a lot yeah. of TV actors. Yeah. Um, but not, not in their prime, though. No, but like Jake from State Farm, and he's always got like Chris Paul, and they're yeah. they're kind of they're kind of. I think there's a hesitance on the part of celebrities to be associated with things that are not cool. But isn't Kevin Hart attached? Yeah, to Kevin Hart doesn't want Chase. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I I think historically there's been a, a hesitance for like celebrities to attach themselves to like mundane things like banking, but insurance uses a lot of celebs. Yeah. Uh, crypto, probably no celebrities want to touch that ever not again. Now. Maybe forever. Uh, the next stadium naming right will not go to a crypto company, I, I would assume. Will it go to AI? Yeah, it'll go to AI. Yeah. <laughs> Sam it'll, it'll go to the it'll new rule the world. It'll go to the new bubble uh, for sure. Um, what What would you guys say to people who want to build a brand in investing or in uh, financial media? Like, what What would be your your advice to people who are listening to this and they're working in the industry and they want to? Uh, transcend whatever role they're in right now. Like what? What? What are the best things that they should do? Not promote. Well, not promote to a token. Okay. So, I think you have to have a genuine passion for okay. the information and for the education that you've got yourself through your career or through self teaching. Like obviously, I've worked in the industry for over fifteen years, but working in the industry didn't teach me like the personal financial knowledge, the personal investing. I work in institutional finance. That's not teaching me how to trade or how to be a long-term investor like I am in my day-to-day life. So I just am so passionate about how I have been able to build my financial life. And all of my friends were always asking me for help. So yeah, I decided to write a book and then and get on, on social media about six years ago is when I started. And I don't do it as a full-time business or role. It's just something that I do for fun to connect with my community and my peers. But yeah, you have to have a genuine passion and interest to just be doing good and sharing information and be helping other people better their lives. You also tend to, you you have surrounded yourself with like some very well-known people in finance and yeah. you're, you, I know you're at a lot of events and you seem to be like in the right place at the right time. Well, I always plug myself in to you're the places at, at and this. people, yeah. <laughs> the people that I want to be learning from. I mean, I really do believe in that whole like the top five people you surround yourself Absolutely. with. Absolutely. So I mean, like, what's now, the rest of that sentence? You become, you become <laughs> the average the of those, top, the, the average, average of the top, the, the top five people you spend the most time with. You made a good point about plugging yourself in. You have to advocate for yourself, and sometimes you have to push because nobody's going to do it for you. Well, uh, you guys, I used to pay tens of thousands of dollars to fly and register to all the conferences. Now that they pay me tens of thousands of dollars to host, look at you. That was Look my 2022 goal. Yeah, you ain't writing the check now. <laughs> now they're writing the check. Yeah, I'm just hanging out to- with Ray Dalio every week. You know, <laughs> what are you going to this year? Uh, next one I'm very excited Wait, were you for. you at Milken? No, Mil- Milken's right now. I'm yeah. like the only one not there. Okay, that's why we have you. you. All right, good. good. <laughs> um, this is better than Milken. California, future-proof. All right, you coming? That's not until September, but yeah, for sure. Yes. It's, I mean, that's, that's what the, other, that's the what Super What other Bowl. finance wealth conference is on the beach? None. Beautiful view. <laughs> None. Yeah. By the time I'm they all start it. doing that, we'll be moving on to the next thing. Yeah. We're going to be on Mars. Do you know about our musical <laughs> guest? I know. No. No, 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 no. I know. I know. I was just getting in. Come on. <laughs> Whoa. Tell you. us off gotcha. the air. I got you. We're actually, we're announcing that uh, ne- uh, next week. What advice do you give people that look at you and look at Rashad and Troy and they're just like, I want to be in the game. Um, maybe they're in insurance. Maybe they're in mortgages. Maybe they're in trading. Like, what do you, what do you tell people that want to step their career up a notch? Number one, tell the truth. 
Okay. So for me, I just started posting on Facebook in 2009. What got me, my audience, was me showing my losses. Okay. So in 2020, everyone started to treat this like a hustle. And back when I was doing it in 2009, if I, if I, I like, came to you and like, I have a proposal, I'm going to take a black kid from a small city that curses and love rap. Yeah. He's going to be the face of investing. You're like, this business is going to fail. Yeah. Right? But it was my passion. And then also, number two, being honest about the losses. But most importantly, people have to talk about what they do. There's too many people that have theories. So when I'm like, hey, I love Apple, Microsoft, VOO, VTI. I've done that for me, my family, and I got rich from that first. Okay. I didn't come out and set out to teach. Like, I was trying to build relationships with funds, and they were like, you don't have enough experience. And I'm like, look at my track record. So I think we, if truth, talk about what you're doing and talk about your losses, you'll be A-OK. What do you, and what, so let's talk about the world tour. You guys are playing the biggest stages. I say playing. You're not a musical act. Um, Has to be entertaining, though. But it feels like, yeah. it, it feels like a, a concert yeah. more than it feels like a, sitting through somebody's seminar. Yeah. You, I mean, you guys, the crowd is excited to be there. You guys are amped up to be there. Uh, tell us about the world tour and just the connections that you're making yeah. with fans all over the – at this point, it's global. Yeah. Um, we're doing London in June for Market Monday's world you, tour. Wait, wait, stop. You did London last year? Yes. And where did you do this? Uh, Royal Albert Hall. Do, so like Adele. You know the, what the Royal Albert Hall yeah, is? Yeah, I used to live and work in London. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. This yeah. is like where the Beatles played. Yeah. This it is where the honor. They, like, this is the biggest events. That, yeah. So you guys took that stage and sold it out. Yeah. One night? One night. Okay. And what what was that like? I mean, it was breathtaking. And the interesting part, because in London, people a lot of people travel, but the trading market and investing market, they're very hungry. We take this for granted to be able to go to like, well, you should be a milking, but thank you for being here and being going to Salt Conference or Money Show or Future Proof. Yeah. They don't have a ton of those there. Okay. So we sold out relatively fast, but they were hungry. Like, even when we was doing the theatrics of coming out and the performative stuff. But they're, they're wait, like, how did you guys point. know? Like... First of all, I don't know what's involved in booking the Royal Albert Hall. Mm -hmm. I would imagine it's not an, uh, an email. No, shout to Ashley, though, for our amazing event. Okay, but how do you know that you're going to sell it out before you go there for the first time? <laughs> now you know, but I last mean, year. Just people in Africa messaging us in London. And even if I'm looking at the macro picture, my perspective is, like, I got a place in Mexico this past summer. My thing is, even with content and business, everyone can fight for the States. If I can get Mexico, Africa, and Australia— I'm fine. Because when we go to Africa, everyone's like, there's no Kramer here. So if we can do the same thing and give advice, and that's why when I was— no, Right. There's no stock market celebrities yet. At all. It's, it's no one very early. It's very early. It's like 92-ish in comparison to where we are okay, now. Okay, gotcha. So my thing was we have to expand internationally. And then we didn't know we was going to sell it out. But Rashad was like, we have to get the best venue. I love Rashad's. Yes, Rashad's mentality, the biggest, like— You have to. Like everything, everything Rashad does is like we're either gonna do this right all the way, yeah, or we'll do something else not worth doing. It's not worth it, right? So he's not like in London, like all right, here's our budget. What could we afford? He's like Royal we Albert have, Hall. We have to get the <laughs> but then place. the people respond to that; they come out. Yeah, I th dude, I thought that was amazing. So you're going back? Yeah, we're going back there. Um, Where are you playing this year? Same place? Uh, no, Peacock Theater. We'll okay. be there, and then we're doing Chicago. In October, and then Ghana in— Where, where are you going to be in Chicago? We haven't announced it yet. Okay. So after but we, I'm sure it's going to be nuts. Yeah, it's going to be Soldier nice. Soldier Field? <laughs> Maybe next year. Okay. Invest Fest. <laughs> okay. It will be in Atlanta. We should do 20,000 people this year. And what when you go to you go to Africa, Ghana, is, like what's— are there, are there people trading on their phones there and stuff? Are there like 
the in Africa, like that crypto market is serious. Crypto Same market. thing, but there isn't a blueprint for safety there yet. Okay. So if even with indexing, long-term investing internationally, then I think crypto should maybe be 10, 15%. But they're hungry for the information. So even in creating a business, you guys are a prime example of it. Like you create the content, tell the truth, ups and downs. People build that trust. Yeah. Same thing, like never missing a show. So I know we're probably, I probably shouldn't say, but I'll give you an exclusive. We're probably do like seven days worth of events in Ghana. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, takes a lot of energy and stamina for me to do like two day event. Yeah. It's I a can't lot. even imagine. It's a lot. Uh, and also these people that come out, they want to touch you. Mm-hmm. They, they want FaceTime. Mm-hmm. They, they, they came all the way there from God knows where. Yeah. Like, it's not just like waving to them from a stage. You guys are like in the mix. Have to. I mean, I'm grateful. I think a lot of times when people, and we all have done it at different points, but when I go back to when I was first just trying to build a business, I wish for this. Yeah. So I can't be mad at the audience. So like a lot of times Ashley would have to grab me off the stage and she like, I told you to come off stage. I'm like, they travel here from California. Like people came from Amsterdam last year. I'm like, I can't take 15 minutes and they bought a ticket and flew. Yeah. Because when I've met other celebrities that shoot me away, it made me have a distaste for them. So like when we, when we booked Floyd, Floyd was the easiest person we ever worked with. So Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather. When we did the show in Madison Square last year. He was like, I love what you guys are doing. I love that you're preaching about investing. I promote it for free. Even the rate that he gets, it was like at cost. Yeah. So it was amazing just to see that. So I've always been humbled to be here, even be on the show. Like I've been a fan for the longest time. Thank, thank, thank you. But thank I don't you. take any of this for granted. So, no. You got, no, you guys seem like you're having a great time. Uh, yes, you got to get Liana down to invest. Yes, we have yes. to. Yeah, I would love that. Um, Seriously. Let me tell you one thing about it. And you and I have been to a lot of this similar, uh, similar events over the years. The big difference between InvestFest and like, you know, we've been to Salt and all the stuff that we go. There's nobody walking around there like they're the king of the world and they know everything. Mm-hmm. The people that are there, they probably know a lot, but it's not about what they know. Mm-hmm. They're there to learn more and openly. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this. Mm-hmm. It's very different than going to a conference where like Sone Conference it's for a great cause, but everybody there thinks they know everything already. Yeah. yeah. So I like that vibe. Yeah. And the community is great. Like they end up doing business together and some of them have like broken yeah. to the industry and gotten jobs and some of them like raise real estate funds and stuff together. So your headliner at InvestFest this year is Diddy. Diddy. Okay. Yeah. And then okay. Robert Smith. Crazy. How do you keep Diddy on stage for three hours? I don't know, but we got to figure out a plan. But okay. he, he's going to be super vulnerable. Talked about ups and downs, how he's built his business. Um, I think he's in a place in his career where he's done everything he can do, and he really wants to pour back, especially like when we're in a recession. Like, our audience is panicking a little bit more, but you need those voices to speak and be like a voice of reason. Like, I've been down too, and I've made mistakes too. Yeah. Absolutely. That's huge. So he's going to do that. And who, who else going to be there? Robert Smith. Okay. So that's going to be— He's a bil- like a legit billionaire. Yeah, a billion, yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, congratulations on that. Thank you, man. Yeah. Proud of you. Uh, let's do favorites. And it looks like the sun's coming out. So uh, so we'll let, we'll let everyone get out of here today. Uh, Liana, do you have any favorites for us? Uh, you knew I was going to ask. I did. I did. Okay. What are we talking about? Cities? Favorites? Okay, here. Oh, I listened to a really good podcast episode lately that I think any entrepreneur or just investor should listen to. If you guys know, do you guys know Ed Milet? Yes, Ed is amazing. You know Ed? Yeah. Who is that? Um, he's a Laguna Beach, California guy, but he was sort of in financial services, built a big business. He's kind of part of the Tony Robbins, like, yeah. 
Joe Dispenza crew of influential guys that has their own podcast. April 27th, he had a podcast episode called The Lonely Road to Success. And uh, it's about courage and endurance and taking the road less traveled and how experiencing loneliness is likely a sign that you're on a good path. Mm. Mm. I like that. I'm lonely all the time. It's really, yeah, 30 minutes or something. I really resonated with it because all of us doing things that are sort of outside the box, it's a big roller coaster, as you all know. What was your biggest takeaway from it? That it's okay for me to feel like shit sometimes and be scared. Okay. I like that's a good message. And lonely. All right, we'll put that one on the list. (laughs) What do you what do you got for us? Um, a book, True Love. I like that book a lot. Well, I have three. True they all tie together. True Love. Well, in the last episode of Snowfall. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. You haven't I wanna ruin it. I'm I I'm I'm a season behind still. So I'll get there. I, I won't spoil it, but th- there's a great lesson in how you treat people. So at one point, Franklin was at the on top of the world, and he loses everything. And now he's screaming at the people that he came up with, and now they have more money than him. He's like, give me the last of your $3 billion. And I think in the climate that we're in now, I think people think that the dog-eat-dog mentality works. And I'm like, every great brand, every person that we really love was kind. And it goes to show, like, if you're an asshole, at some point things are going to turn around on you. And maybe some of the people that you did help are not owed to to pay you back in the way that you want them to. So I yeah, think you could be surprised by that. Absolutely, you, you think you're on the way up, then you stumble. Someone Make else some is mistakes. on the way up, and it's like, how did that happen? We've seen this all. We've seen it with Madoff. We've seen it with SVB. Like it's just at scale. A great lesson to remember to be kind. To what's true? What's true love? That's a book. Yeah, true love. It's a it's a book about a guy who's trying to find love, but he's like using technology and AI. So it's really interesting for this time. Um, about how you really need to focus on the things that matter and not put tech in front of family and friends and love. Okay, I love it. Well, and what's what's the Chinese New Warships thing? Uh, so it's a book called Concrete Podcast. So um, it's really interesting. They were talking to a military guy about their plan to like try to take Taiwan and what will happen over the next 10 or 15 years. Bullish? On China? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's probably the thing that I worry about the most mm-hmm. is whatever the hell ends up happening there. I don't, that feel might like that's be number four in, in 2023 in terms of topics. Yeah, maybe right. number one in 2024. You worry about that at all? Or no, absolutely. No, not for me. Really? For okay. No, you go. You go. I'm with not it? saying that it's not worthy of worries. It's just outside of my purview of, of things that I worry about. Do you think, like, as a, a country, we are losing our way, and then even like on a tech side and, and company side and IPO side, we aren't as great as we used to be? I don't know. I, I don't know if that stuff. That's again outside of my lane. I don't know if that stuff is overhyped. Like we still have the best companies in the world. Are we maybe falling behind on like blockchain regulation and like what we're doing there to foster that? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know many other places that I'd rather be. Well, that's that's yeah. the big thing. Do it all over. Wake up. Do you want to wake up in a different country or not? And yeah. I, I I can't answer yes. Yeah. So, um, favorite cities? Chicago. Is in that, in our that, country. That's your favorite? I do love it there. Chicago's amazing. I like Orange County, California. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm excited to I could live there. Yeah. Yeah. I could live this in- wasn't in our in our country, but I put Accra, Ghana. I did an event there okay. last summer. Did you? And some What's the name of the city? Accra. Accra. Is that the capital? Is yeah. that where your event's gonna be? Yes. I assume, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh do they have a good bagel store? <laughs> I doubt it. I will report back okay. and let you know. <laughs> yeah. What did you like? What did you like most about it? I actually did. I was hosting, emceeing a family offs event. I got to interview Queen, which was my first royal interview. That was cool. And the I queen did Queen of Ghana. Um, well, they they have like multiple, multiple yeah. queens there. Okay. Um, That's incredible. But I did with some of the family office people, um, sort of 
helped arrange and put together a, a trip and doing some outreach and giving to an orphanage for kids with HIV, which is a a life-changing experience. Yeah. That's a day where – an entire trip where it's like gratitude for living yeah. in, you know, this country yeah. and yeah. every single thing we have. So that was a real positive experience for me last summer. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, my favorite is – do you know this kid, Jamie Catherwood? I mean, no, I know no. you know him. No, tell me more. What? What? Go. You love what? <laughs> I love Jamie. Go. Why did you start laughing? What did I, I, I was with him. This, I was with him this week. All right. He did this thing that I thought was cool. He has a blog called Investor Amnesia. Oh, so yeah. And one of the recurring things themes is like going back, looking at history, mm-hmm. and pr- like pretty much most things have happened before. Mm-hmm. They just it the names change, the places change, some of the details change. Um, so he did this thing that's like a financial history timeline, and it's really cool. It starts in 1494 with the birth of double entry uh, bookkeeping. Um, and you just like, you go through the years, 1571, the Royal Exchange, which is the first time people were trading commodities in an organized way. 1602 is the first IPO. It's a Dutch East India company. And I just thought it was really well done. It's not a lot of reading. It's just a timeline with, you know, one illustration or picture and like a paragraph worth of stuff on it. And if you want to learn more, he links to the best book or article or source. And when you go through this, and I spent like an hour with this, you just realize like these are all analogs for things that are happening now. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize it at the time and it always feels different, but there've just been a lot of things that have repeated throughout history. Well, people so, are the same today as they were in, seven, in the 1700s. Well, it doesn't like, repeat, have different tools, but it but rhymes. Ah, <laughs> that's right. Ah. That's right. But like even like here at 1690s, face. they had an IPO bubble. Nice. And uh, yeah, I did well in that one. Um, but like there's just there's just a lot of stuff that we've we've seen before and we will see again. So shout out to Jamie and shout it's investoramnesia.com and you'll see the financial history timeline as one of his pieces that you can link to. All right, that does it for us this week. I think uh I think we covered it all. Duncan, is there anything that we need to announce? I would just I add like I, got, that I feel like I got shortchanged on that one. Which one? Favorites. That's okay. You didn't oh, give oh, us no, one? what are the favorites? No. Oh, dude. No, we done. can't wrap up. <laughs> no. Turn those can, machines can, back on. Can I just say something real fast? One of my first videos I did uh, here was with Jamie Catherwood. So look back to 2019 on our YouTube. And oh, find yeah, what did we have? What, what was he on talking about? I don't even Probably remember. Probably investor history. financial history. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you got for us? So, I'm sorry, Michael. That's okay. I was at an event this week with the folks at Canvas slash Franklin Templeton. And Patrick O'Shaughnessy, not, uh, he had actually, Patrick O'Shaughnessy interviewed this guy in like 2016, was an early invest, like the best guest. So this guy was on stage for 90 minutes. His name is Eric Maddox, and he is the interrogator who was responsible for finding Saddam Hussein. Wow. And he changed the way that we do interrogation. I think the numbers that he gave was prior to his techniques, it was like a 4% success rate. And he got it up to like 60% or 80% or something crazy. What bigger baseball bat? So the the topic of the topic of the of the chat, it was 90 minutes and everybody was like literally leaning forward. Glutey, yeah. Hanging on the edge of his seat uh, edge of their seat. It was about empathetic listening, which apparently the audience tells me I could work on. But it was <laughs> it was Do the comments get to you? Uh sometimes. Zero percent chance. Not anymore. Gotcha. Um and it I, happens when you're passionate though. Well, we got we got an email last night. Go on. <laughs> Did you see that? No. I so, don't see the emails. Right. Somebody emailed everyone that I work with, Josh, Barry, Chris, Bill, our PR, just trashing me with screenshots of comments, just trashing me. 
And I was listening to um, a podcast last week with Brian Russillo. It's this guy who does, I forget his name. Um, he fills in for, for Ernie uh, on TNT. And that crew has been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. And so he was the new guy. And during the break, he's on, his, he's on Twitter. And he's like, Shaq like almost smacked the phone out of my hand and said, don't do that. Like, don't mm -hmm. look at that shit. And the guy's like, and Shaq's like, no, I'm serious. Like, do not look at that. He goes, we're aliens. They're earthlings. And so I wow. don't view my audience as earthlings, but I get the point. It's yeah. like, do what you do and don't let that shit get to you. And it's a pot. Listen, of course, like I don't, I don't like it, but I don't want to see it. As long as I don't see it, I'm okay. Yeah, fine. What comments, guys? Can 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 we be nice to Michael? Can we be kind to my guy? No, no, no. Yeah, can we, we be kind Michael. to Michael? Everybody in Red Panda, please put in chat. We love can, Michael. Can I say one? Yeah. Can I say yes. one thing that people don't understand? Um, the amount of work that you do, absolutely, for all of our content. You're on Animal Spirits. Animal Spirits yeah. talk your Hit book. Hit that button, Josh. You're yeah, on yeah. What Are Your Thoughts. You're on, dude. And then you do the Compound Friends at the end of the week. And we create these shows with document with docs. And you're in the docs making sure we have the right topics, the charts, the data is up to date. Like, yeah. people don't understand how much, work, how much work you do before the cameras even turn on. And then you're a little bit of a dip. <laughs> But before that, you were- By you're, that point, he's just over it. On camera, <laughs> on camera, in person, Michael would give you the shirt off his back. That's yeah. Aww. So guys, the, come on, like, please. Uh, and and don't start on me either, though. Like, don't- <laughs> Please don't. Don't- Yeah, because I'll get back in the comments and argue with you over Josh. I'll just, I'll just quit. No, we love we love our commenters. We love our audience. I just our a, AI back up. A I wait, know, so, we need it. Wait, so why did the interrogation change? Uh, that's like the whole thing I wanted to hear. So before the pity party that you threw for yourself, stop. Bad <laughs> <Batnick> appreciation day. <laughs> what are you um, doing? So no, he said the guy said to him, he's like, you don't, you don't get it. Like you don't get me. You don't know me. And that was like a light moment. He's like, you're right. Like you, Who, I, the, the terrorist that yeah, he was interrogating. Yeah, yeah. You don't know me. Like whatever. Yeah. It was like you don't. Uh, you don't. I don't understand. think I'd be a good interrogator. You don't understand. Yeah. And so that was like the the light bulb switch flipped, and he said, "Like you're right, I'm just coming, I'm just interrogating. Like, just get these people talking, just get them talking, just talk to them, ask them about their family, yeah, just get them talking. Be just be How a person." How old is this guy? Out of curiosity, he's probably fifty at this point. I'm oh, guessing. so he's quite experienced. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he but he was a Chinese linguist. And the story of how he got to Baghdad was like nuts. Like he's like, why me? Like I, I've, I've never done this before. Yeah. It was an incredible talk. Oh, we have uh, breaking news. This gentleman, uh, this interrogator, was just replaced by ChatGPT. So the, the, <laughs> it turns out they asked. All right, listen, we're gonna wrap it up. Thank you guys so much. so much. What a what a great week, Nicole, John, Duncan. We did content from multiple cities this week, multiple guests, all kinds of crazy stuff happening. You guys keep it running. Please be nice That's to amazing. Michael and me in the in the chat. We love you. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We'll see you next week. All right, take us out. So Apple. That was what was expected? Or uh, is that no, they upped it. Stock is up. Stock is up. You guys have fun? Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Always. Yeah, awesome. Always. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you guys for coming. Yeah, right. Double B.